Why Do We Sound So Good? Because we're at Dead Aunt Thelma's studio and Mike Moore is engineering for us. Thanks, Dead Aunt Thelma's. Thanks, Mike. Hi, everyone. I'm Susanna Mars, and welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. Trying to fit Regina Carter into a clearly defined musical category? Forget it. She performs so many styles of music, jazz, R&B, Latin, classical, blues, country, pop, African, and on and on. Through those, she explores the power of music through the voice of the violin. She's a MacArthur genius. She's a recipient of the Doris Duke Artist Award. Thank you so much for making time to talk to me, Regina. Thank you, Susanna. I appreciate it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm... As I told you uh, before we went live, I'm loving listening to your music, your beautiful collaborations, your interviews. How did you come into this musical life? Um, well, I started music when I was quite young. Um, my mom heavily believed in, in music and education. My, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, graduated from Morris Brown in 1915 with a degree in piano pedagogy. So... The gene skipped my mother, and I guess uh, it, I got the gene. My brothers and I didn't, all took piano lessons, and then um, they took trumpet, clarinet, and I took violin, and I started violin when I was four, and studied a method called the Suzuki method, where you learn to play by ear the same way we learn how to speak as children. And I just fell in love with it, and I'd have a private lesson once a week and then group lessons, um, and a lot of those people in the group lessons there are eight of us that are are professional musicians now and we just had a reunion um uh a year ago but so those became my really close friends and and i loved playing music and i think having such close friends that were also playing violin it helped Mm. it's so interesting when i think about friendship among musicians, it's another level of being together. Uh, I'm a singer, and when I'm working with specific pianists or other instrumentalists, you know, being together without words is so unique. Right. It is, because you're you're communicating. We're communicating on another level, and there has to be, I find anyway, there has to be trust and mutual respect. You know, I've, I've been on the bandstand with both. So now, now that I'm older, I get to ask who's 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 going to be there. You know, if I'm guesting with someone, mm-hmm. um, because that's a very um, sacred space. Yes, it is. And you, I see uh, when I'm listening to your interviews that you're very connected to your family, your family history and traditions. And how do those things show up in your music, in particular the story of the passing of your dear mother? Um, well, when I when my mom was ill that time, it was um, she had she had beat cancer like three times before, and so we just you know I thought she would beat it again. But there was a point where I had I was called home. And I spent about three months with her, and I and I basically was living in the hospital, and just um, watching watching that whole transition, uh, and being there for her, and being able to care for her, even made me closer to her. That was a very really special time for me, and um, it made me. It, I, I yeah. I it. I just realized in in being there with her how there were so many, especially older patients that didn't have. Uh, family members to come and visit and check in on them, which touched me in a whole nother way. But I would, when my mom couldn't communicate, I would play music 
for her um, CDs usually, and I could tell by her vital signs what was relaxing her or what was agitating her, which was really profound to me because we always hear that music is, is, is a healing force, but it just sounds, it sounds airy-fairy until you see how how the, the effect is really, it's, it's, very, it's very powerful. So once she passed away, I... I I, uh, Western University in Michigan, Kalamazoo, Michigan, offered, they set up an online course for me to take intro to music therapy because I thought I wanted to go into that. But after shadowing um, some therapists that were working with hospice patients, I decided that's what I wanted to do and um, became a hospice volunteer. And now I start training to be an end-of-life doula. But all of that to say that whole process um, when I when I went home to be with her, I I had to cancel a lot of gigs, and most people understood. But there was one gig that didn't, and they sued me, and the lawsuit lasted a year, and it was another country. And I was so angry and bitter mm. um, during that process that I was like, I don't want to play music anymore. Like I hate this. And a dear friend and great producer and bassist John Clayton said, if you stop playing music, then they win. And that was a really heavy statement. And so I decided after that I wanted to honor my mother one more time by um, recording a record of tunes that she grew up listening to. And it also was a way for me to help heal my spirit. Mm. That's an incredible story. I also took care of my dad when he was at his end of life, and I had a similar situation in that I had to cancel a gig and they were so wonderful about it. And I guess I just continue to be amazed uh, at how grief can insinuate itself into the world in, in a good way to bring people into an understanding of sharing sadness. It's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sorry about the one instance of uh, the place that sued you. That's out of the box horrible. Yeah, yeah, but you know, other other than that, I just, yeah, just pe- the people that rally around you when you're going through a loss, and um, yeah, it's really it's really a, a wonderful to have close people to support you, mm-hmm. um, and and for us to be able to have the vehicle of music to express any emotions through that, because some some people don't know how to express that or or you know deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So how does being a woman enter into your work as a musician, especially as a jazz musician? That's an interesting, you know, it's, I when I was coming up, especially on the jazz scene in Detroit, I never thought about the fact that I was a woman. It was always the fact that I was playing violin. Um, because one school I'd gone to, I said there is no such thing as jazz violin, and uh, but when I came back, when I transferred to uh, Oakland University up in Rochester, Michigan, the big band teacher there just said, "Okay, I'm going to put you in the saxophone section. You'll play alto, and uh, you know you'll read the alto charts. Breathe when they breathe, phrase how they phrase, and quit listening to violin players." <laughs> so you know, which was great advice, and. So many of the musicians that either graduated from OU or some of the musicians like the late, great Marcus Belgrave would come up and give master classes and work with the big band. Uh, So there was a really close-knit jazz community. 
so I never even thought about that. And even coming to New York, it was always about the fact that I played violin. Um, so I didn't really have any issues as that I know, you know, that mm-hmm. were that obvious. But when I hear the stories that some of these young women are dealing with now, it's appalling. And um, I'm artistic director of a camp. We just uh, named it uh, the Jerry Allen Camp. It was a camp that she she was the artistic director for three years before she passed. And um, it's for young women, ages 14 to 26. And so they come, and we, it's a week long. They stay at Ruck, on the Rutgers campus in Newark. And we have classes about the business. They have, you know, they have ensembles and technique classes and lessons and theory. But we also have a time where we talk woman to woman and, and any of the male faculty leaves. And we've, we've brought in Tia Fuller a couple of times just to talk about things that, so they can express what's going on. And maybe we can, as a as a group, help them, help guide them on how to deal with some of this. Um, or And just to let them know that they have a network of older sisters, so to speak, that they can call on any time that they need to talk. Uh, I think that's really important because a lot of times, you know, when you go out to a jam session or most of the time it's men, the majority of the time. It's it's very rare to see other women and especially instrumentalists. Um, so to know that you have that network I think is extremely important. Mm. That's amazing, and That's what a great amazing. opportunity to give them, uh, or just the to to see you leading them in saying, "Hey, it's okay. All of us women, we can gather together and talk about stuff together, and we can say, hey, guys, you take off for a little while. We need some time.'" And you know, even I, when I'm doing a late night performance, a lot of women won't ask for someone to walk them to the car. Little things like right. that. And um, it makes a difference to just say, hey, it's okay to ask for someone to walk you to the car. In fact, you shouldn't walk to the car by yourself no matter what neighborhood you're in. Right. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, and it's interesting because I was talking to someone recently and, you know, we say we have these conversations with young women. But at some point, too, we need to – these young men need to hear from their older peers and mentors about how to treat women and uh and and maybe we come together and and talk about it because i i think a lot of times young men have many more mentors to look up to and they and they emulate that whole swag and body language and the mm-hmm. way they talk and you know it's very rare for women so you know a lot of times women are like well how am i supposed to act and they end up being very shy and withdrawn mm-hmm. <laughs> So you're coming to Portland to play at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall. You're going to play the West Coast premiere of David Schiff's Four Sisters Jazz Violin Concerto. Can you tell us a little bit about that piece? Um, Yes, uh, four movements, uh, and each movement represents um, a powerful woman uh, in the music industry. Uh, Aretha Franklin, Sarah Vaughn, Billie Holiday, and Ella Ella Fitzgerald. Wow. So there's a movement for each, and it's it's pretty amazing because you can hear you can hear their voices, so to speak, um, in in each of the the movements. And sometimes it might be quotes from some of their songs, or just rhythm, some of the rhythms to tunes that you're used to, you were used to listening to. So it's a it's a fun piece to play. It's a, it's a really um, heavy duty piece. I had to really dig in and 
do do my setting on it, but it's a lot of fun. And it, you're going to be soloing with the Advanced Metropolitan Youth Symphony Orchestra. What an opportunity for them to see an artist of your caliber, uh, you know, working with them. What a thrill. Well, I'm excited to work with them as well. And mm-hmm. then I'm also going to be working with the uh, the, the jazz, jazz band, Jazz Fortune, I guess the, the big band as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the students from that. And then uh, doing a... Uh, a class, I guess, with some of the string players. So it's it's always a lot of fun, you know, working working with with young musicians, and um, they have such great energy. And and you know, I don't get to play this piece that often, so I'm psyched. Yeah, it sounds just beautiful. Um, and you're also, I guess, in the same program, there's going to be a premiere of a new work by a 17 year old composer, Grace Mejak, who's part of the yeah. Authentic Voice. Right. Yeah, right. So I just, I just started looking at that and working on that. So that's that's such a beautiful opportunity, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I wasn't doing that when I was that young, you know. Yeah. So I'm glad these these they have the opportunity. It's 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 really it's 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 a great a great platform for them. Just so everybody knows, that event is going to be on Sunday, March eighth, at seven thirty p.m. And you can get tickets at playmys.org and I'll repeat that later but playmys.org and the event is Sunday, March 8th at 7.30. So I was wondering, you know, as an artist, how do you start your day? How do you fill your cup, inspirationally speaking, fit in your practice? Do you have rituals that you do daily? No, wait, coffee. <laughs> That's the number one <laughs> It's a good one. I used to tell my husband, <laughs> I have to get up and have coffee. Don't talk to me for an hour. <laughs> no, I don't really have a ritual, you know, because as you know, our days are so different mm-hmm. um, depending on if we have a gig or working on something specific. Um, I try to get to the gym at least, you know, three times a week mm-hmm. uh, in the morning. I do that in the morning because if I don't do it, as soon as I roll out of bed, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um and I pretty much leave my violin out. I have a, it, uh, uh, I can hang it on a stand. I have a, sp- a special hanger for it, and I, I leave it in the living room so that it's a reminder. Like, nah, you have to practice because <laughs> <laughs> I've never liked practicing. So if it's right there in my face. It's like, okay, I know, I got to get to you. But yeah, there's no, 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 no special ritual. Just have you know. I try to get my practicing in either early in the day or late at night. And my husband's a drummer, so he practices. If he's practicing late at night, it's great because you know then I'm up here practicing and it's we're not disturbing each other. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you started in the right. classical world, and uh, I know uh, you know you're playing jazz. How do I phrase this? In the classical world, there are wrong notes. In jazz, are there wrong notes? No, you know, and I and and when I say that, I want to I want to explain that because people then think, well, you could just play anything, and that's not true. Um, you might land on a note that sounds really wrong, mm-hmm. but you're usually a half step away from the correct note, if you will. And but they said if you land on a wrong note, play it again like you meant it. <laughs> you know, make it make it into something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I, you know, it's interesting because I think growing up in the classical world, there was this whole pressure of being perfect, and 
um, not making a mistake and blah, just so many pressures. And I remember when I was, I had to, I was playing a, um, the history of the soldier, La Histoire du Soldat, um, Stravinsky. And I, I was, it was making me crazy, uh, trying to learn it. And I read this article by a former high school teacher. She's a harp and vocal teacher. And she said her father, when she was playing something once, she told her dad to come and listen to her. And he said, okay, if you get through it without stopping, you're, that's fine. He goes, but if you stop, I'm going to throw tomatoes at you. And and that whole lesson was to keep going. Mm. And I think we're so worried in the classical world about the mistake that when you see it coming, if you make the mistake, then we freeze and we live with it. But, you know, with jazz, you know there's a way out of it to get around it. And you don't even call it a mistake. You just use it. Mm-hmm. You learn to use that thing as a vehicle. And I think that's a healthier way, actually, of of thinking about music. Because other than that, you know, I know at times I feel like I'm so petrified playing that I don't want to do it. And that's that's not healthy. Yeah, I struggle with yeah, that myself as a singer. And... I'm continually finding new strategies for embracing that. And I think it's such a healthy way to look at life no matter what you do. Right. Yeah. Because we always have to improvise. Yeah. And that just that ability to say, well, that happened to move on, use it, move, exactly. move forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of remarkable. I love thinking about it. How, how do you refill your cup or inspire yourself uh, what are the things that you do to for inspiration? Um, I go hear other music, other musicians. Sometimes, um, I'll, if there's an interesting opera, I went to hear. I went to see Porgy and Bess recently. I'll go see Broadway plays mm-hmm. or dance. So I try to. I try to go, and I probably end up going to um, events that are, are are that have dance or or. Opera, not just not just jazz events. Sometimes mm-hmm. I just need to completely get away from going to a jazz club or a jazz event. Um, and movies, you know, I I I love watching movies um, with my husband. So mm-hmm. that's you know, and just uh, and sometimes listening to silence. Mm-hmm. You know, I just sometimes I like to be in the house and completely silent and just hear the birds outside. Mm-hmm. It's really relaxing. I know you're part of Straight Ahead, an all-female jazz quintet. How is it different to play with all women, or is it at all? Um, well, I'm a former member. Mm-hmm. Um, I played with them in the early 90s, mm-hmm. um, and now I do sometimes guest appearances with them. But um, that was an interesting group because I think hmm, – what's the word I'm trying to – with women were well, – anyway, I – I'm not going to go that because it's different with, with other women. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, but with that group, uh, we would rehearse sometimes three and four days a week. Mm. And that's difficult to find that kind of time and people that are willing to put that in. So because it was a self-contained group and, you know, we all had the same goal in mind, um, it, it wasn't an issue for co- for us to come together and, and practice and to help, you know, work on each other's, um, weaknesses, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so that I thought in that way, that was a very special group. I don't know that it would be like that with another group of women. You know, I, I, 
I just think that was a special for personalities. Hmm. How winning the awards that you've won, they're the, some of the biggest arts awards there are, how did that change your perspective about your work and how you were going to go about it? <laughs> it made me think, you know, at first I felt like, okay, you have to find the cure for, you know, whatever you have to solve, solve this problem. It, it, it's kind of a heavy, it, it was a heavy, um, what am I trying to say? I, I put that on myself thinking I had to do something um, huge, you mm-hmm. know, but you get it because people are already seeing that you're doing something that they think it seems worthy of having the award. So it's, um, but I think with the MacArthur especially, it gave me the freedom to record some records and to take time off to do research for those records and to record them the way I wanted to, and then to be able to lease them to a label that would accept them as is, instead of having an you know, artist and repertoire person or someone at a label tell me what to do. Mm. Um, so it gave me that freedom and um, to do like, a, I think three records I did with the, with that. And then with the Doris Duke money, which is interesting because you have meetings with them and they tell you to set some goals. And a lot of times artists don't take vacations because we can't afford it. Or we just, we're always like, Oh, we got to work. we got to work. And so that's one of the things, if you haven't taken a vacation, you have to write it down. And they'll check in with you and say, have you had your vacation yet? Have you done this yet? Um, so with that, though, um, I'm looking at, well, I'm doing my next record uh, with part of that money, but also trying to set up some type of either nonprofit or some kind of organization where I can spend more time at home um, as an end-of-life doula. Wow. and be able to to support myself. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting um balancing an artist life and doing your art and then the other things that really interest you in the world because we do right. have to continue to work. We're always thinking about as another guest call it the gig economy. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and it feels And now everyone's living the gig economy. So. <laughs> yeah, it feels, you know, really uh very shaky beneath our feet, I think many most artists would agree. Yeah, you know, and it's it's interesting because sometimes I feel like at least with me, sometimes I feel like I'm a little I don't get as freaked out, you know, when work isn't there. I say, okay, this is this is that pattern. It's going to come, use this time to to work on something else. Um, And we're kind of used to that if we look at it to see those types of patterns. But I think for people that were used to having real security and pensions and this, you know, Wall Street people, it's it's more difficult for them Mm -hmm. because they are so, so used to security. What do you think art brings to our culture? Ah, what does art bring to our culture? It's a whopper um, question, you know, and it's a, a question that kind yeah. of feels weighty, but that's not really my intention. It's a, like, what are the things that just make your spirit soar when you think about how art is in the world? Well, you know, it's scary to think what it would be without art. And I think a lot of people realize the impact that the arts have on us, but there's so many 
that don't, and that's what's scary because I see, you know, once they took music and art out of the schools, there's so many children. You know, sports is a big thing here, and mm-hmm. you know, in, our, in 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 the U.S. and every kid is not interested in sports. I know I wasn't. I was always trying to get out of gym, mm-hmm. and you know, and those children don't have necessarily any place to. Um, they don't have an outlet for some of the energy, and I, I feel like we'd have a lot less violence and bullying in school if if those kids had something somewhere to place some of that negative energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it's the same with adults. You know, we're not taught to a lot of times we're not taught to value art. Um, we feel like we should pay for it. You know, it, it should be free, but. Meanwhile, people will pay $5 for a coffee, and that's not going to last you. You're going to drink it, and it's gone. When you when you get people's music for free or, you know, you're only paying a cent for it or the artist is only really getting cents for it, um, barely, you, you have that. You can listen to it over and over and over again. So just trying to get people to realize the importance of it. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really um, excited that more doctors are seeing the effects that music have on their patients, and they're mm-hmm. using it more. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine who's at Western University in Kalamazoo, um, he was working with, uh, I think it was Doctor Levitin, and they had a uh, MRI machine, and there's a young young pianist. Um, his name is Matthew Whitaker, and he's, I think he's 16. No, he's actually his first year of college, so I think he's 17. But he's blind. And they put him in the MRI machine and gave him a keyboard. And they, Well, they played certain music for him, mm-hmm. and they would see which part of his brain would light up, and then they had him improvise, and they watched his brain. And it was really interesting because they said that the part of the brain that deals with sight mm was always lit when he was listening to music as if he can see. Oh. So it's just it's it was pretty amazing. So, you know, it's I have a huge interest in that and just seeing and and hoping that people more and more people will realize the importance not just of music but of of art mm. period, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. I read uh, a study recently also that talked about heart rate of audiences and how they start to match up in spaces. And yeah, I just, I believe so wholeheartedly in the healing power of art and the way that we are together in all sorts of arts situations. And uh, it sounds as though the work you're doing, you're just in the community so beautifully with your hospice work and the way you're working with students in your camp and then the music you make on top of it, which is incredible. I just so appreciate. um, It's neat to see awards being given to people who are doing such great work and just walking the walk in every way. So I appreciate what you do very much. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, really looking forward to seeing you on Sunday, March 8th at 730 with the Youth Symphony, the Metropolitan Youth Symphony, where you're going to play Four Sisters, uh, the West Coast premiere of David Schiff's Four Sisters Jazz Violin Concerto. You can get tickets to hear Regina Carter and the Metropolitan Youth Symphony at playmys.org. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I hope you have a wonderful day. 
Thank you, Susanna. You as well. Thank, Thank you. you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Adventures in Artslandia. 